Hello, this is Michael Beller from The Athletic. Before beginning this episode of The Athletic's Fantasy Baseball Podcast, we wanted to note that these interviews took place before the COVID-19 outbreak forced MLB to delay the start of the 2020 season. We've edited out parts of the interviews that were rendered moot and believe you will still find them useful as you prepare for your fantasy drafts and auctions. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are continuing on in our division-by-division position battle mini-series, moving along to the NL East. And in the NL East, where else could we possibly start than with the defending World Series champion, Washington Nationals? To do that, we bring on our Nationals beat writer, Britt Giroli. Britt, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Yeah, sure, no problem. All right, so the Nationals have, uh, you know, they've sent some guys out. Obviously, Anthony Rendon is the the big name who is no longer there. Still a lot of great players on this team, a lot of reason to be excited about this team, and a lot of moving parts to this team. You look at the infield without Rendon over at first base. We've got Eric Thames and Ryan Zimmerman seeming to form a pure platoon. Is that what we should be expecting from the first base position for this team? Uh, really can't be playing every day. So uh, I would imagine the Liverpool too. I think Howie Kendrick might get some time at first base there too. Um, you know, especially if he pinch hits late in the game, he stays in um, at first. But uh, I think uh, that's probably the case that that platoon, uh, that's really how the Nationals are going to be able to try to cover for Rendon is the fact that they're going to play the matchups uh, and they're going to try to keep these veteran guys relatively fresh and rested. Yeah, there, there's no reason. It doesn't seem like, especially with the strengths that Zimmerman and Thames have shown recently in more recent years, that there's a, a chance for either one of them to run away with the job and, and make the other guy more of a bench guy. It does seem like Davey Martinez has a pure platoon on his hands at first base. So uh, both those guys end up being pretty draftable in fantasy leagues, especially Thames going to be more likely on the long side of that platoon as uh, the left-handed bat there. The rest of the infield, uh, you know, coming together in an interesting way. Obviously, we know Trey Turner uh, at short. Then you've got Carter Keboom over at third base, a guy who everyone is very excited about coming into this season. Fantasy, straight-up baseball, Nationals fan, not Nationals fan. Otherwise, this is an exciting guy to uh, be watching here in 2020. You've got Starlin Castro penciled in at second base. Howie Kendrick still there, as you mentioned, as Drupal Cabrera as well. How should we be expecting... Uh, Davey Martinez to put together the infield other than Trey at shortstop and the first base platoon? Yeah, well, I think uh, what you're looking at really is whether or not Carter Kibo makes the team. If he makes the team, obviously he'd be a guy that you'd want on your fantasy team. Uh, you'd want to draft him because he'd be up there to play. If he doesn't make the team, they're probably going to put a Struble Cabrera at third base. Uh, Starlin Castro looks like he's probably going to be that pretty close to an everyday second base guy. So um, it feels a little more clear uh, than you would think. Uh, I just think a lot of it's going to come down to ultimately if they feel like uh, Carter Keboom is ready or if they wanted to get a little more seasoning down to AAA. One more thing I want to touch on before we let you go here. Uh, there's been a little bit of chatter about Daniel Hudson potentially uh, sharing a closer role with Sean Doolittle. Start of the season, though, this is Doolittle's job, correct? 
Yeah, it's his job to lose. Uh, I think if he's not healthy or if he struggles, then yes, they have Hudson. Yes, they also have Will Harris. I mean, they have options in that bullpen, which is great. Uh, but certainly in a perfect world, Sean Doolittle is the Nationals closer. Yeah, it's uh, enough of a situation where you're going to see both guys drafted quite a bit in fantasy leagues, but definitely Doolittle's job to lose, as it should be. This guy has been a very reliable reliever for years now going back to his days, of course, with Oakland, and then all the good things that he's done for the Nationals as well. That's Britt Giroli from the Washington Nationals. You can, uh, of course, check out all her work on The Athletic, The Athletic DC, and, of course, on Twitter as well, at Britt underscore Giroli. That's G-H-I-R-O-L-I. Britt, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Yeah, no problem. Take care. Let's keep things rolling in the NL East, moving on to Atlanta. And for that, bringing on our Braves beat reporter, David O'Brien. David, how you doing today? All right, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy to be talking NL East. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun division. It's a competitive division. It it's a division that's got a whole lot of fantasy goodness as well, which is something that gets us excited. And the Braves uh, certainly a big contributor to that and also a big contributor to some legitimate position battles uh, across uh, one of the bigger ones across the league. Uh, we got mm-hmm. a couple that we should talk about here. The first one being at third base. How is that breaking down uh, to your eyes on the ground? Well, both guys, Johan Camargo and Austin Riley, have both played really well so far. I mean, if uh, if one of them had not played well, I mean, you could say, you know, Austin Riley has clearly outperformed him, but Camargo's also played really well too, so... I think Austin Riley's got the edge going in. I think they'd like for him to be the guy because he's got so much power. Uh, made a couple of adjustments in his stance, and it really appears to be paying off. And he's back to you know looking a lot like he did when he first came up last year when he was a house of fire when he came up in May. Um, so if he's got that, you know, he's a 30-35 homer type guy. And if he's not swinging and missing, then there's no reason to keep him out of the lineup. And Johan Camargo has a lot of value as a utility guy. So... We'll see where it ends up. It's going to be interesting. Do you see them getting Riley any ABs in the outfield? Is that a way to get his bat in the lineup as well? No, because they've got a glut of outfielders. They've got two full-timers with uh, Ronald Acuna in right and Marcelo Zuna, the new one, $18 million contract, in left. And then you got three guys to fight for to fight for at-bats in the other one spot. you got Adam Duvall. Nick Marcakis and a three-time gold glove center fielder in Inciarte. So if Ender Inciarte, you know, hit like he did a couple of years ago, there wouldn't even be any question. He'd be the everyday center fielder, but he hasn't the last couple of years. And he was hit. He, he missed a hundred games last year with injuries just about. Um, so once they got Ozuna, the, the, the plan of a left field platoon of Duvall and Marcakis evaporated. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, both of those guys signed one to an arbitration contract, and Duvall and and Nick to a free agent contract. You're not paying either one of them a lot, but you know four to five and a half million dollars, and so they're fighting for spots uh, or fighting for at bats. And what they could end up doing is Ender, you know, doing a platoon basically with Ender in center and Acuna moving over to center, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with certain pitching matchups, and then Marcakis and Duvall then. Uh, getting at bats in right field in that scenario when when Acuna is in center. All right, one more question for you here on the Braves. Mark Melanson going to open the season as the yeah. team's closer. You've got a couple of good setup men there in Will Smith and Shane Green. Mark Melanson, been no picture of health in recent years. Is there any way this turns into a closer by committee, even if it's not done because of an injury to Melanson? Well, 
Snit really likes Melanson, and he really likes what he did last year. So I think he's going to get every opportunity out of the uh, in the first month of the season or so. And I think he would have to really struggle in multiple outings. Uh, but like you said, they've signed Will Smith to a long-term contract, multi-year deal, $40 million deal. So they are fully prepared to, if they, you know, he's going to probably take over after next year anyway. Melanson's in the last year of a deal, but he's making $14 million. So, um, you know, from that contract he signed with the Giants, he's, uh, he's going to be the guy to start out. And they don't look at it as really him having the, the more important role. They look at it in a way as being able to better utilize Will Smith by using him in seventh and eighth innings when the matchups are, are you know, as you know, the closer role isn't what it used to be. It is for fantasy purposes, I know, but a lot of times they got teams want to use their best pitcher in the seventh or eighth because that's the that's the inning where the game, in effect, is saved. And if the matchups are better, you know, in those innings, then, then they'll do it. But it, by the same token, they'll use Chris Martin or Melanson uh, in one of those innings if they have better matchups. But, but Will Smith's not a matchup guy. He can pitch right and lefties almost equally. And uh, they really like the depth that they have. And you mentioned Shane Green. You know, you got Chris Martin, Shane Green, Melanson, and Will Smith are all options uh, to close games. And then Luke Jackson as well, who closed for about half the season for the Braves last year. So it's a really deep bullpen. Yeah, absolutely the smart baseball thing to do to use those uh, best relievers in those high leverage spots. A little bit yeah. of a headache for us in the fantasy yeah. <laughs> world, though. That's David O'Brien. Check him out at the Athletic Atlanta, also on Twitter at D O'Brien ATL. That is Brian with an E. David, thanks again for taking the time with us today. You got it. Thank you. Moving right along in the NL East, we find ourselves stopping by the New York Mets. And to do that, we bring on our Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, how you doing today? Pretty good. How's it going? It is going well. It's going well. It's uh, it, it, The NL East is uh, a fun division, if you ask me. It feels like a, a wide-open division, even though uh, we've got the defending World Series champions here. Obviously, they took uh, a few hits, most notably Anthony Rendon. So it feels like a lot of teams uh, can contend in this division, and I think the Mets might be among them, but uh, some position battles that we got to get to. Uh, let's flip things over to the offensive side of the equation and go out to left field where we have ourselves another position battle. This one, another three-headed one, J.D. Davis, Don Smith, and forever, Ioannis Cespedes. Now, J.D. Davis, to me, seemed like he was easily on the inside track before that bizarre shoulder injury that didn't actually happen in the spring, but wasn't noticed until he dove for a ball in the spring. It seemed like he was the guy in left. Maybe he would mix in a little bit in other positions, but is that what opened the door and made this more of a competition, or was this always going to be something that was open uh, for the spring? You know, uh, I always thought it was going to be somewhat open. You know, Yohannes uh, Cespedes is kind of the, the huge question mark, not just for left field, but for this team overall, is, is what can you get out of uh, a guy who was your best hitter for a few years before injuries have really hurt him the last two seasons, last three seasons, really, if you go back to 2017. Uh, and, you know, if Cespedes is something resembling his former self, which, you know, I, I think was probably unreasonable to expect uh, right away in spring training, then, you know, that's a guy you want in the lineup on a, on a regular basis. You know, he looks fine at the plate. We haven't seen him in the field yet, and I think that's the biggest hurdle for him to clear considering the... The, the injury issues have been to his feet and his legs. He's had two heel surgeries and one ankle surgery since he last played in a game in July of 2018. So I think with, with that in mind, that as the backdrop, then it became just Davis and Smith, who platooned a bit in left field 
last season uh, in like June and July. Smith, when Smith went down at the end of July, Davis took that role and ran with it on an everyday basis uh, and really put up good numbers both against left-handed pitching and right-handed pitching. Smith, for his, his part, was pretty good against both righties and lefties in a way he hadn't been earlier in his career either. So I think both of those guys, they kind of bring the same thing to the table just from different sides of the plate. Neither is a particularly strong defender out there, and they're trying to just be less below average this year. But I think based off of what he did the final two months of the year, Davis, even with the, the little time that he's missed because of the shoulder issue this spring, still has the inside track to be, if not the everyday guy there, the more times than not guy there. Assuming he's healthy, is that a guy that you get in the lineup no matter what and it's left, maybe sometimes it's right spelling Michael Conforto, maybe sometimes you, you move him back into the infield and you move Jeff McNeil around. Is he someone who has a mostly everyday spot even if it's not always left field? I would guess he's probably a guy where let's remove Cespedes from the equation and say he's not really a factor. Then Davis would probably start about 120 out of the 162 games for you. That kind of thing going in where it's not quite, you know, it's it, it wouldn't be weird for him to have an off day, but you'd still expect him to be in the lineup most days. I think that would be kind of the plan if, you know, if it's him and Smith in left field, basically. But, you know, with injuries on this team, they've, they've got some flexibility that, that Davis can play third, Smith can play first, Jeff McNeil, who's probably going to play a lot of third, can shift over to second or to left field. They can move guys around a bit. So, you know, Davis went into last year. It wasn't even clear he'd make the team on opening day uh, and ended up playing a pretty big role in their success, especially in that second half. Yeah, how quickly things can change in just one year. That's Tim Britton. Check him out at The Athletic New York. Also on Twitter at Tim Britton, B-R-I-T-T-O-N. Tim, thanks again for joining us here. Oh, anytime. Thank you. All right, moving, now, moving on now in the NL East. We go to the Phillies. For that, we bring in our Phillies beat writer, Megan Montemuro. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How about you? I am also doing well. Thanks for joining me here. Thanks for uh, talking a little Phillies. Uh, it's a team that is mostly settled, especially when we're looking at fantasy baseball relevant things. But there are still a, a few that stand out, one of them being at the back end of the rotation. And it is a really interesting fifth starter battle in the fantasy world because countless fantasy owners have fallen in love with Vince Velasquez and Nick Pavetta over the years. Nick Pavetta, all you got to do is go back to last year when he was this fantasy sleeper darling. We know how that worked out or, or didn't work out as the case may be. Now these two guys battling for that last spot in Philly's rotation. How are things shaking out as you see them? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think one thing that to keep in mind, it's not just going to be a numbers-based decision. I mean, part of it is going to be, um, you know, you have to perform in spring. And one thing Joe Girardi has preached is, you know, the competition wasn't starting on day one. You know, he wanted pitchers the opportunity to have them build up a little bit, you know, get a few outings under their belt. And I think when you specifically look at these two guys, maybe does one of these guys profile better as a reliever, you know, or... Um, you know, is one better as the starter, even if maybe his spring numbers aren't there. But for me, I, I really think performance-wise, even right now, um, Velasquez has had a better spring performance. He's been working on his changeup more. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this uh, kind of looks <laughs> going forward. That swing and miss stuff from Pavetta is something that we always mm -hmm. fall in love with, but it just seems that he can't quite harness it and turn it into results. Yeah, and I think that's like that's been one of his biggest issues that and having, you know, a good third pitch to work with and that's kind of why 
you know, when he went into the bullpen and they kind of used him as a two-inning guy, he, he showed that he could be really effective in that way. And in terms of Velasquez, I mean, he has a similarly really great fastball, and he's gotten a little bit better in terms of knowing when to employ that. And so I, I think it's going to be interesting. To me, you know, Velasquez, I think, profiles better as a starter than a reliever compared to Pavetta. I think Pavetta has two really strong pitches that would play up well there. And last year, a lot of the talk was um, with the previous coaching staff, of which, you know, quite a few were retained from Gabe Kapler's staff, was that, um, you know, they felt Velasquez needed the routine of of what a starter provides, whereas Pavetta, um, you know, would be could be a little bit more flexible in terms of his preparation style. And so it'll be interesting to see how they weigh all those factors. Um, and I will say that I think, you know, one potential dark horse you might have, which, you know, maybe more of a in-season call-up is left-hander Ranger Suarez, who pitched in the bullpen mainly last year, um, but he's been a starter his whole career. They're um, stretching him out to start the year and giving him uh, a look in, in that role. And so I would not be surprised if you have any injuries or ineffectiveness um, before Spencer Howard is ready that he Ranger Suarez could be a guy that gets a look to. That's Megan Montemuro. You can follow her over at The Athletic Philadelphia and also on Twitter at M underscore Montemuro. That's M-O-N-T-E-M-U-R-R-O. Megan, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, what do you say we wrap things up in the NL East, bring on our fifth team in this division, the Miami Marlins, to do that? Uh, a guy who's a jack-of-all-trades for us down in Miami, covers the Marlins, covers the Heat, Andre Fernandez. Andre, thanks for uh, taking the time with us here today. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the Marlins are uh, going to be an interesting team again this year. We know there's a lot of moving parts to this team. You've got a, a lot of positional versatility up and down the roster, and we know that they're going to get creative with how they uh, deploy all those moving parts, but it does appear that there is at least one interesting position to talk about. That's out in right field. We've got a few guys who could end up filling this spot on a on a more than majority time basis. So how are things starting to look to your eyes there? Yeah, that's the intriguing part is how the outfield uh, will shape up. We know Corey Dickerson will be in left, and they're looking like they're going to keep Jonathan Villar um, a pretty good amount of time in center. So that means how do you sort out the rest? And right now, I mean, the storylines are Lewis Brinson, of course, you know, this year didn't come in guaranteed anything. It looks like almost it's his last chance to, to really make an impact in the major league level. So he's still battling for that spot. You know, they're one of their top prospects, Monte Harrison, has, you know, really come on strong in the spring. I mean, he hit the ground running literally, you know, stealing bases the first day, stuff you don't normally see. I mean, he's out to really win the job right out of right on opening day so he's another he's a guy who could play anywhere in the outfield but primarily right field's what's available whoever ends up emerging will probably split time with matt joyce you know one of the guys they brought in in the offseason and he's going to be if not a platoon situation maybe even like a bench role but uh, joyce is in for sure i think it's just a matter of who they pair up with him when it comes to those guys and matt kemp another interesting one he's trying to prove he's still got it that he still has something to contribute He's had a pretty okay spring, not numbers wise, but I think they value. He's almost like the the Curtis Granderson type mm -hmm. for them this year, the veteran that can help their locker room a lot, as well as you know in situations you know help them on the field as well. But we're gonna see. I mean, it's a crowded outfield right now. They're all trying out. I mean, the other effect too could be the fact that Brian Anderson, he was hurt last year in the sense of 
he was hurt literally at the end. His season got cut short when he when he broke his hand. But he was also hurt when, when it comes to potential gold glove consideration because of the fact that he split so much time between right and third base. This year you might see him play a little more at third base. I think they'll still move him around when needed, but he might be able to stick to the infield a little bit more if this outfield situation ends up being more productive. How about Garrett Cooper? He was an interesting piece for this team last year. Hit 15 homers and 421 plate appearances. Uh, contributed a 281, 344, 446 slash line. Where do they find time for his bat? He, see, that's an interesting one to me because the fact that his bat is productive, I think that his health has been a little bit, a bit of a concern with, within the organization. They don't. They, there's been some question as to his durability, but when he is in there, he was one of the guys that, that really took them out of that early season funk they were in, and he can play right field, but I think you might be able to see him in sort of a, maybe not platoon situation, but a situation where he plays a lot of first base as well whenever Aguilar does not. And or even comes in later in games, that sort of thing. So I think they can put you know put him in there and have him split time between right field and first base. But right now, I don't think there's any guarantees. And I think Don Mattingly has made that clear. Like even if you were a key contributor last year, there's more depth now, and there's no guarantee you'll make the team. He mentioned that in reference to Cooper, and he also mentioned that in reference to Harold Ramirez, who's probably doesn't figure in the right field situation, but he does figure in the overall outfield. Very similar. Had a good year at the plate, but isn't guaranteed anything this year with all these new faces. Brandon Kitzler, another one of the new faces, of course, in the bullpen. Uh, slated to open the year as the closer for the Marlins. This is something he did with success uh, with the Minnesota Twins a couple of years ago at the end of his time with the Twins. He opens as the closer for this team. Doesn't have that typical closer profile or stuff, though. So how firm is his hold on this closer job to start the year? I mean, I think with the way the bullpen was last year, I think his experience is the key there, and I think that's why they value that. And I think so far I haven't heard anything otherwise of him potentially being the guy in that role. And he, he's pretty much this year's Sergio Romo for them. I mean, Romo wasn't necessarily – he's closed as well in his career, but he wasn't always a closer, so it's similar in that respect. But, yeah, I think Kinsler solidifies that right there. Another one to watch I think would be Brad Boxberger, who they brought in right before spring – you know, as a non-roster guy, he's got a good shot at making the team as well. And he could figure in that late inning relief role, you know, as far as the setup guys are concerned. And then, you know, that figures in with Ryan Stanek, Drew Steckenreiter's coming off injury, but they say that he's been coming along and he's healthy now. So he's another one that could get high leverage innings as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how much better the bullpen can be after they were so bad last year. All right, that's Andre Fernandez on the Marlins. Check him out, The Athletic Miami, The Athletic MLB, Athletic NBA, with everything that's going on in the NBA now. Uh, you can also get him on Twitter at FernandezAndreC. Andre, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. That'll do it for the Analyst edition of our Position Battle miniseries on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thanks to all our Analyst writers for their expertise. Please do give them all a follow on Twitter. Not only is that it for this episode, it also puts a bow on our position battle miniseries as a whole. I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in, listening to these six special episodes. I know that they might feel even more than a little bit trivial right now, but we hope that they've given you some hope that we will be watching baseball eventually in 2020. Derek Van Riper and I will be back with another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Podcast on Friday. We'll talk to you then. Thank you.